Good morning, Zoe Church. So good to be back preaching again with our home church, our home base. For those of you who maybe have been new with us online and jumping online, you can maybe probably tell I'm not Pastor Greg. My name is Micah McDonald, and uh, our home church is Zoe. My wife and I, we typically travel on the road full-time preaching and sharing the gospel, and we are so excited that you are with us today. We believe it's not by accident you're stumbling across this live stream and really hope that today's message can encourage you. In fact, uh, we're talking about something that we've been talking about the last couple of weeks. We're currently right now in a series called Philippians. And for those of you who are new, Philippians, it's a letter in the Bible that the Apostle Paul writes to a town called Philippi, which is about 800 miles away from the city of Rome. It's a Roman city. In fact, what's unique about this letter is about 14 times the word joy or rejoice is used in this letter. It's a letter meant to encourage. It's a letter rooted in joy. And when I think about joy, joy is different than happiness. Happiness has its... uh, existence or its meaning based on circumstances. Like, for example, yesterday was my birthday, and there was this big birthday parade of cars because we're still in our stay-at-home order, and uh, it was happy. It was fun. It was enjoyable. The circumstance was exciting. I turned 51 years old yesterday, and uh, no, I'm just totally kidding, Uh, but I did turn 34, And yesterday was fun. Uh, It made me feel happy. There's a reason why we say happy birthday. But there's a difference between happiness and joy. You see, joy runs deeper than happiness. It's not based on whether you feel good or not. But we find from this letter in Philippians that Paul writes that joy, uh, it runs deeper than that. We can have joy. And when I think back on my life and some of the most joy-filled moments or things that were the most joyous for me, it would have to come down to seeing somebody or some person encounter Christ for the first time. There's something that takes place when someone who doesn't know Jesus or doesn't love Jesus or follow Jesus, there's something amazing that transcends when you watch someone literally be transformed and impacted by the love and good news of Jesus Christ. As a minister, I get to see this often. And what never disappoints and what never gets old is watching somebody encounter Christ and experience his presence, experience his salvation. And literally, there's a difference on their face. They look different. They they have a different change about them. And it reminds me of a story of a car mechanic. My family, we had a car mechanic that we would see often and regularly, and we've known him for over 20-plus years. And uh, we'd go visit him, and my mom would bake goodies for him and bring it down to his shop, and we loved visiting him because, you know, he, um, he would uh, take care of us. He was honest with us. Um, but for about 20 years as a family, we took our cars to Rich. But whenever we would bring up Christ or whenever we would talk about Jesus, uh, our mechanic would just kind of say, nope, don't talk about it with me. Nope, not really a Jesus person. No, don't want anything to do with Christianity. That's not for me. There's no way God could love me. I'm, no, it's not for me. And he'd always just shut it down. But there was a turning moment in this man's life when the older he got, 
he realized he ended up getting a terminal disease, ended up getting cancer. And I remember one time at the shop, he looked at me and said, Micah, I don't know how much longer I have to live. Would you mind praying for me? I know you pray. I know you pray to God. Would you just mind praying for me sometime? Well, I made it my personal mission to pray for Rich every day that the cancer might be healed. Because my thought was, was if Rich could be healed of cancer, well, then why wouldn't he believe in Jesus? Because he'd obviously know that Jesus was real and existed. So I prayed every day for Rich to be healed so that he might come to believe in Christ. Well, he reached out to me saying, Micah, it's getting worse, so much so that he was hospitalized and a liter of fluid was dripping from his lungs every day. And just before I was about to leave the hospital, Rich looked at me and said, Micah, what does this all mean? And he had a guy who was Mormon come by his car shop and talk to him about Mormonism. And he said, Micah, what is Mormonism? Do you believe it? And I said, look, Rich, um, I don't know about Mormonism. I'm not a Mormon, but let me tell you about Jesus. And let me tell you about the gospel and how Jesus has changed my life. And on his bedside, I began to explain to him about how much God loves him. And despite his sin, despite how messed up he may have been, despite his biggest mistakes in life, that there was a God who loved him deeper than his sin, that God's grace extends out to him. And as I'm explaining the gospel and the love of Jesus, this grown man at 60-some years old is in a hospital bed and begins to cry. Tears begin to come down his face. And this grown man begins to weep in his bed. And the love of Jesus is encountering my car mechanic who's heard of Jesus for over 20 years, wanted nothing to do with him. And after I get done explaining about how much Jesus loves him, I said, Rich, would you like to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And through tears, he comes out and says, yes. And after we pray to receive Christ, this man who is tough, who had gone most of his life saying, forget Jesus, his words are this, that was the most glorious moment of my entire life. I have lived now for 34 years, and there is nothing more exciting, there is nothing more joyous than watching Jesus transform somebody right before your very eyes. When someone receives the gospel, it's like their countenance changes, their face changes, changes. They're moved by the love and grace of Jesus. And where we find ourselves today in the book of Philippians are three verses, Philippians 1, 12 through 14. And this sums up the heartbeat of the apostle Paul in his heart for the gospel, that there is unlike anything else than being able to share Jesus and watch somebody encounter Christ. I want to lead us today in Philippians 1, verse 12 through 14. The verse will be on the screen. Paul writes this. He says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. The title of my message today is From Prison to Palace. From Prison to Palace. And if you're taking notes, it comes from our very first, first uh, uh, verse today. Point number one is this, is what we see as obstacles God sees and uses as an opportunity. 
What you and I might view as major obstacles in life, God actually uses those as opportunity. In verse 12, Paul says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Now just time out. i got to give you context real quick. Uh, what has happened to Paul? Up until this point where he's writing this letter, what has happened to his life? Well, let me give you some context on where Paul has been and what's happened to him. In Acts chapter 21, Paul goes to Jerusalem, and when he's in Jerusalem, this huge riot breaks out because he's falsely accused for bringing Gentiles into the Jewish temple, which is a big no-no. You don't do that. It breaks the law. He's falsely accused. It didn't happen. A riot breaks out. A Roman commander comes, seizes Paul in Acts 21, and brings him before a Roman governor. Which means this, Paul has now been in prison for two years to wait on a decision from a Roman governor. A Roman governor doesn't make a decision. A new Roman governor comes into power. Paul awaits his decision, doesn't hear a decision from him. And Paul says, may I appeal to Caesar? Which meant this, Paul had now been in prison for four years in Caesarea, right on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. He gets on a boat to go to Rome to appeal before Caesar. In the middle of going to Rome, the boat shipwrecks through a storm. He finally makes it through the shipwreck, gets to Rome, and then in Acts chapter 28, verse 16, we see where Paul's writing this letter from. And in verse 16, it says this, When we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a Roman soldier to guard him. So Paul is under house arrest now for 24-7, always under the surveillance of a Roman guard. And in verse 20, Paul explains this while he's under house arrest. He says, for this reason, I've asked to see you and talk with you. It is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. Paul is saying, for the last four years, I've been bound with chains. And the whole reason being is because of my desire to share the hope that I have, the hope of the gospel message. And then in verse 23, it says this, they arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. He witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God and from the law of Moses and from the prophets and tried to persuade them about Jesus. Basically, Paul is under house arrest, but it's not stopping him from proclaiming the gospel. Paul could have looked at his obstacles and been like, great, the ministry God's entrusted me to, it's stopping, it's not going the way I want. But rather than Paul seeing his obstacles, he saw how God was using his obstacles as an opportunity to preach the gospel. Paul says this in verse 12 of Philippians 1. It says, what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Like me being under house arrest, me being in prison... Don't you understand? It's pushing the gospel forward. And the letter he's writing to is a group in Philippi, these Philippians, they must be thinking to themselves, I wonder how Paul's doing. I wonder how he's doing. He's been in prison for four years. He must be discouraged. And Paul's saying, no, stop. You got to understand something. The obstacles you face, God turns it and uses it as an opportunity. And this word advance, this Greek word, it's a military word for advancing under fire. That the gospel is spreading. It's going forth. People are being reached. When you and I experience obstacles, it's easy to complain. When you and I experience trials, it's easy to become uh, um, mundane about it or upset or you name it. 
But oftentimes when an obstacle hits, it reveals what we value most. You lose a job. What comes out? What reveals in your heart? You lose someone in your life. What comes out? You're falsely accused. You're put in prison. What comes out from your mouth? Paul doesn't criticize. He doesn't complain. He doesn't hate the Roman authorities who have him in jail. Paul sees his utmost value of using his obstacles as an opportunity to proclaim the gospel. It advances. And what happens in our life and what takes place in our life, God desires to use as an opportunity. Number one, God uses our obstacles as an opportunity. Point number two is this. People can know Christ through our crisis. In verse 13, it says this. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. I am in chains for Christ. Everyone's hearing about it, the whole palace guard, which leads us to point two, which is people can know Christ through our crisis. Y'all, the crisis you've been through, the crises you've gone through, the things you've experienced, the trials you've endured, the hardships, the obstacles you've experienced allows you to have a voice to speak about the grace and goodness of God to others who have the same crisis too. Crisis is a recipe for gospel and God's love to go forth. What you've endured, what you've gone through, God actually desires to use to make Jesus known. And this word here, chains, Paul being in chains, and everybody knows I'm put in here because of Christ, like I'm in chains. It's a Greek word called halusis. Don't miss this. Hallucis was describing a type of chain. It was an 18-inch chain that was tied around Paul and tied around a Roman soldier. Now, who are the Roman soldiers? The Roman soldiers in the palace are Caesar's soldiers. They are Caesar's bodyguards. These are bodyguards used to protect the Roman influencers within the palace. So who are chained to Paul 24-7, by the way, 18 inches away? They would be on six-hour intervals, sometimes four, and then a different soldier would come and change out and attach themselves to Paul. When he would eat they were next to him. When he would sleep, a Roman soldier was there. When he did his personal business, a Roman soldier was there. When Paul would pray, they were there. When Paul would share with visitors who would come and visit him on house arrest, they were there. They were attached to Paul for 24-7. Y'all, don't miss this. Could it be that God utilized prison to get the gospel to the palace? Could it be that God used prison for Paul so that it could go from prison to the palace? And I would imagine in Rome where Paul is, there were Christians already in Rome before Paul got there. And could it be that the prayers of Christians in Rome were this, God, may your gospel reach Caesar. God, may your gospel reach the influencers. God, may your gospel reach those in the palace. God, may the gospel reach those in the government. God, may the gospel reach those. And could God have answered the prayers of Roman Christians By sending somebody named Paul that didn't see obstacles, but saw it as an opportunity to go from a place of prison to bring the gospel to the palace guards. 
God loves to use our forms of prison to bring about his redemption to the places of government. God loves to work his plan, his process, his idea through our hardships so someone else might be able to taste freedom. Rather than seeing your prison as a place of shelter, let it be seen as an opportunity to bring the gospel to those around you. It says in verse 13, Paul says it, he says, as a result... It's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else, which is Paul is saying this, the gospel is reaching everybody. It's reaching the soldiers. People are coming to Christ. Paul is reaching a multitude of people within the palace. And how do we know this? Because in Philippians 4, verse 22, Paul ends his letter by saying this, all God's people here to you send greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. Y'all, people were coming to Christ for those who were chained up with Paul. Those who were 18 inches apart couldn't help but hear him pray, couldn't help but hear him share the gospel. Chains aren't always bad, but could it be that the chains and the trials that Paul were under were being utilized as the plan all along to bring the gospel to those who need to be saved. It's one thing to be chained to a Roman soldier. It's another thing to be chained to a Christian who won't shut up and talking about the goodness of Jesus. Can you imagine how miserable it would have been for a Roman soldier to be chained to Paul to hear the message of the gospel over and over again? You can't help but hear the love of Jesus through Paul and through his words and what he's trying to say. The gospel can work through your crisis. People can know Christ through your crisis. And my last point today is this, number three, is your example will encourage others. In verse 14, it says this, it says, and because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. If there was ever a time to be afraid to be a Christian, it was back in Rome when Christians would be persecuted and hung on crosses upside down. It was back in Rome when Nero would burn Christians alive as a spectacle to use fear. Fear was rampant in trying to keep Christians silent. And Paul is writing to the Philippians saying, guys, don't be discouraged. The gospel's going forth. The Christian brothers and sisters in Rome are being encouraged. They're speaking up because of my example in change. It has lit a fire in them to share Christ, you guys. People are watching you. Christians are watching you. Non-Christians are watching you. Your kids are watching you. Your grandkids are watching you. And I don't know about you, but when you see somebody rise up and step up in faith and in boldness for the gospel, it puts a fire in you to do something too. Which leads me to my big so what. The big so what today is this. The gospel, it cannot be stopped. Prison couldn't stop the gospel. Chains couldn't stop the gospel being preached. Quarantine can't stop the gospel. Stay-at-home orders can't stop the gospel. Job loss can't stop the goal. gospel. Unemployment can't stop the gospel. Divorce can't stop the gospel. Cancer can't stop the gospel. The gospel cannot be stopped.
It couldn't be stopped under persecution. It couldn't be stopped under food crises. It couldn't be stopped under economic downturns. The gospel will go forth and it cannot be stopped. Wherever you are today, no matter your circumstance, no matter your trial, no matter what the future holds, may the gospel come alive in you. May the gospel burn in you. May it be our sole mission. May it be our sole driving force, our sole passion, so that we might say, as a result, everyone's hearing about the gospel. Now, it would be a really good opportunity for you to do Write down everything junky about your life right now and then write this, dot, 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 as a result. And watch what God might do through your circumstance on the backside of it as a result. Write as a result in your journal after you write down your trial and watch what God might do as a result. It doesn't matter what happens to us. As we know, Romans 8, 28, it says that God works for the good of those who love him or are called according to our purposes. This is what Paul is trying to say. Whether I die or whether I live, I gain because Christ is in me. And if I live and I'm meant to be on this earth, and if I'm in prison for four years, it will not stop the gospel. The gospel will go forth. And that leads me to our challenge. If I could give you one challenge for this week, share your faith with someone this week. Share your faith with someone. It reminds me of a story. My grandpa, who was a Lutheran minister, kicked out of the Lutheran church. Some of the final years of my grandpa's life, my grandpa ended up getting diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And as my grandpa was in hospice and under nursing care and he was coming to the final moments of his life, he couldn't stop talking about Jesus to the nurses. He couldn't stop talking about Jesus to everyone around him. He would say, do you know Jesus? And they'd say, no, you need to know Jesus. He loves you so much. Do you know Jesus? No, you need to know Jesus because he loves you so much. He couldn't stop asking people, do you know Jesus? And my grandpa shared with me before he died that the greatest regret of his life was waiting until his deathbed to start telling people about Jesus. He had lived some 70 years on this earth, and his biggest regret was waiting to tell people about the love of Jesus until he died. As followers of Christ, we are not to be known by our silence but we are known to be demonstrators of the love of Jesus through our words and through our actions. We are called to rise up for such a time as this, not to shrink back with fear, but as the example of Paul, to be lit with a passion and a love for Jesus that cannot help but go out into a world that needs the gospel. I think of Psalms 96 verse 2, which says, publish your faith, share the salvation that God's given in you. Let the whole world know. Let your neighbors know. Let your co-workers know. Let people know. Let your kids know. May they know that we love Jesus by our voice and by our actions. This week, share your faith with someone this week. It does not matter what happens around you. The gospel cannot be stopped. And Jesus did not die a public shameful death so that a bunch of Christians could stay in their homes and be silent about Jesus. There are more ways than ever before that to share your faith. TikTok, Instagram, WordPress, 
blogs, DMs, messages, text messages, Facebook messages, uh, going to your neighbor's house, meeting them, hanging out with them. There are so many ways to share your hope that you have in Jesus. The only thing stopping you is you. Isn't it interesting that the number one tactic by the enemy is fear? Because if he can get a Christian to be afraid, then the Christian has lost its opportunity to share the hope that's inside of him or her. Faith frightens Satan. Faith frightens Satan. And rather than seeing Paul in chains and being filled with fear that that might be them, it actually did the opposite and encouraged them to have no fear, to share in a time of persecution, to rise up and stand up. Don't wait for persecution to hit America before you share your faith. In fact, it may be good for persecution to hit our country to find out if our faith is really real or not. Take away my job, take away my house. Take away my food, take away my clothes. I still have Jesus in me, and I still have Jesus to share. He is enough. He is my portion. He is all I need, and he is who I will share, Jesus. If you've watched today and you don't know Jesus or you've never given your life to Jesus, you need to understand how much he loves you and how much he was willing to demonstrate his love for your life so that you might be saved, filled with the hope, filled with the peace right here and right now. The most beautiful thing to witness is when someone comes to know Christ for the very first time. And whether you're on a phone or a laptop or on a TV today, God can meet you right now. In just a moment, I'm going to pray. And as I pray, I want you to pray with me to receive Christ in your heart. I want you to pray with me to receive a boldness to share the faith that you have. There will be a link that comes on the screen. If you made that decision today, there will be a link that pops up for you to let us know that you responded to the gospel so that we can be with you on the journey. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you use our prison so that somebody else might get to a palace, a moment of encountering Christ. God, I thank you that you can take the gospel in some of the worst circumstances and, and allow it to be utilized for your glory and your name. God, I pray for anybody listening to this prayer that they would encounter your gospel, your good news, your love for them, that that might be the most glorious moment of their life is saying yes to Jesus. I thank you that you love us, that you find us, that you empower us, that no matter what happens around us, the gospel cannot be stopped. And you've given us daily opportunities to share our faith. Thank you for empowering us. Thank you for saving us. God, may we not back down in fear, but may we rise up in faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, uh, one last thing, please. Uh, we would love to hear from you. And so if you made that decision to follow Jesus today, uh, there's a link that's right there right now. It's faith at zchurch.org. We want to hear from you. We want you to not be alone in this time. And we love to journey together.